Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome back to Coast to Coast. It happened, Ronan. You made the prediction. Today is the first day that the Warriors can say they are now the third most winningest team in finals history. Curry is now finals MVP. And the dynasty, maybe it's back. Are you? What, what's your first reactions, Ronan? How did you feel after that game? Do you feel vindicated after your uh your second prediction which was cheating by the way i gotta point out but how'd you feel man uh disappointed but i guess it kind of brought brought me back to reality and uh i mean it was just it, it was awesome to see from from the warriors as much as i as i hate them because of all the times that they beat beat my my baby lebron uh, <laughs> it was uh it was uh, it was unbelievable to to see how they won and it, it just, just a class act. Great to see Curry get Finals MVP. The emotion at the end of that, the end of that game. Although when they brought Iggy on at the uh, at the end there, I thought they were bringing him on so they, that he could get a few uh, few minutes <laughs> to get uh, some MVP votes in, you know. But uh, nah, uh, unbelievable. The bigger question is, what's what's the feeling in Boston? What's it like out in Boston today? You know, it, it, it's interesting that I, I think there are a lot of a lot of fans who were ready for this. I think there there were a lot of people who were ready for the disappointment. Um, I I wouldn't subject our Celtics friends to come on the pod right after losing, but um, I, I think that there's got to be a mature view about this. And I will say that a lot of people are understanding of the fact that we are. I'm not saying we, the Celtics are ahead of schedule. You you mentioned it earlier on. You can give a nice little list here, but how many other players above the age of 24? actually made it and won the finals the, the list is very short the list is very very short and the Celtics team is just getting started so I think they're I think Boston understands that this this is a process and they'll be back they'll definitely be back yeah yeah you hope that although you know in Boston it's all all about winning so no matter what age you are if you're there you gotta you gotta bring home the W which unfortunately they didn't do but uh I think I think it's pretty understandable. I think what what we saw on just uh, basically Steve, uh, Steph Curry was the best player on the court in this series, and I think Steve Kerr showed that he's the best coach in the NBA during this series, and the way he's built this team to to come back and win again. And those are two those are two pretty damn tough things to be able to overcome. Yeah, yeah. Th- this is. This is one for the books because now we look at the Warriors mentioned it at the top where they now stand in the NBA being the third. I mean, we, we, rec- we recognize greatness by number of rings. It's the easiest thing that we do. And now the, the Warriors are there at three and what is it now? They've, they've made six of eight finals in the, in the last eight years. They made six of the last eight and they've now won four of those six. Right. Yeah. Is that my math? Is my math mathing? Usually doesn't. Your your math's there, yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, that for perspective, that's bordering, like we said, on what MJ's Bulls did. They had a little bit bigger of a break here. But I guess we need to talk about what the Warriors, what what this means for their their current dynasty, because I think it wasn't until the playoffs that we thought that they're back. It wasn't until they made it to the finals that maybe there's that realization, right, that that uh, understanding that the Warriors maybe didn't go away. Maybe they're here to stay. And to see them win this series the way that they did, because this wasn't, this wasn't a thrashing. Like the, the Celtics, I, I think that the Celtics seem shell-shocked in a lot of ways. But when you look back on this series, this is a hard-fought win. This is an incredibly difficult win. The, the Warriors didn't go out there and just do their thing and beat the Celtics. And Celtics got a couple of easy games. Like the, the Warriors had to fight every minute of every game and maybe that's part of the experience thing but i think this is maybe they just barge the door right open there's a door wide open for them to keep doing this because look what curry did <laughs> like curry had probably this is probably his best uh his fi- best finals performance as evidenced by his finals mvp uh in his career and he's doing it at what is he now 34 34 34 years old Chris Paul's doing what he's doing at 38. You can imagine that Curry's going to be able to do this for at least the next three, four years. 
their windows still wide open. Their windows still wide open. Um, and you brought this up. So did, does this justify what the the Warriors did in the offseason? How they've been patient, and strategic, and not as aggressive maybe they should have been. Yeah, hundred percent. They they've <laughs> now they've won a title. It's a hundred million percent. This justifies their decision to not basically blow it up. And now they're in a position where they're still capable of being contenders. Obviously, bigger than that, they're champions. And you're going to look at them and think this core is still going to be here for the next two, three years at least. Maybe you look at maybe possibly Draymond. He's the only guy you might have a little bit of worry about his body maybe just breaking down just just that little bit. But outside of that, this core is going to be here for an extended period of time. And now they also have those young guys that are still coming up. Didn't obviously get to see a lot of, of Kaminga or Moody uh, during the finals run, but Poole is a part of that class as well. He's only 22, and we saw a hell of a lot of him. Uh, I mean, you just got to give huge respect to the Warriors organization, the way they build this roster, the way they run this team on a day-to-day basis, and they're seeing the the results on the court, and it's it's really great to see. So Let's go on green, because I want to go player-by-player player here, in, in a way, for the Warriors, um, what this series means for them. Because, I mean, green is has to be – Curry's obviously the foundational piece of this, this core, this championship core. But we saw this season how they weren't that without Green. They weren't that finals level, all-time great level team without what Green brings to the table. But it, it's fascinating because it's he had such a polarizing performance in the finals. You know, there, there are moments where, like in the first few games, like he, even his mom is is uh, she wasn't subtweeting him; she's directly tweeting at him. Like, I don't know who this guy is. He's not even. He's not even uh, who. Uh, where's the Draymond Green? She said, "I brought him to the finals before." But we where's, found him in game six. Yeah, they, they did find him in game six. Um, but he, he fouls out. He shoots sixteen percent in game one, twenty five percent in game three, fourteen percent in game four and how much longer can he do this that that, I think that's the question because it's undoubted undoubtedly so important all the intangible things he does but that's you're right I think that's where the the clock is ticking I I didn't come away from this series thinking like wow Draymond still got it he still got it um I I felt like it was barely barely hanging on but, it, but he's still doing it 100%, and the, all the little things, like the, the rebounds, defense. But more than ever, it felt like offensively he was just such a, a, non, a non-factor. Didn't hit a three in the first uh, five games, even though he was trying. Um, but that, that's, a, that's an interesting part for me, how quick we think the door is wide open, but how open is it if green starts to fade away a bit? Yeah, that's the interesting uh, clog to this. I mean, we always, we always, we know like without Curry, there's, there's this team's probably not even a, a a playoff team, but without Green, there's so much that doesn't happen within this yeah. Warriors team. So it it's tough to think of if he was to go down, would that really completely kind of almost have them as almost like a team that you're thinking of as a seven or eight seed rather than a team you're thinking is going to be a top three seed and likely going to at least the uh, the conference finals. And he's the one that he's probably struggled the most. I think obviously Clay only came back midway through the year. Curry had some injury problems during the season, but Draymond was the one that you really kind of worried about throughout the season, the different injuries that he had, and, and especially with the back problems that he's got. So he, he's the worry. It's just, it's the question of how can this team continue without Draymond? Is there, is there an answer within their roster or do they know of someone that they can target to replace what he brings to this team? I don't think in sorry we, we we always do this like this is our this is our Achilles heel where we always love to look forward and, and like hypotheticals but I think I think actually framing it in this way is important to highlight what he specifically did in this finals because the answer to that is just no because I mean the way that he was able to switch onto everyone and he was able to bother Brown force turnovers on him he was able to 
be a perfect weak side help zoning up on shooters and the communication like it you can just see everyone gets a good look in the finals paying attention like what he does on the floor the way he communicates on the floor and, and make sure everyone is in the right position the way offensively you know at least in this series I think he was muted a bit but when he is able to get into the short role when he's able to be a playmaker in the middle of the floor like that's something that they don't have and I don't know they can find a combination of those things and defensively man like I, I think he showed at least in flashes when he wasn't fouling out when he wasn't having the couple of terrible games he, he still shows it and this guy should be still a defensive player of the year every year he's, he's a candidate he should be up there every single year um but on that note I mean an answer maybe not for what Green does specifically um because he's a quarterback I mean you mentioned all those things but Wiggins Andrew Wiggins talk about changing narrative <laughs> a guy who I don't think anyone number one no one would have thought he would have been on a starting all-star team controversial sure yes but he got there give him his credit for that and give him his credit for earning every bit of this season because maybe maybe he didn't deserve it maybe there's the the all-star voting that's flawed whatever he's on the warriors whatever this guy throughout the entire postseason draymond green might be their 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 back end help he might be quarterbacking everything but wiggins is one-on-one he is their ball stopper and for wiggins to go from this guy in minnesota who's looked at as a a losing player inefficient doesn't try hard defensively is just going to kind of fade away and the and the timberwolves thought that they fleeced they thought that they fleeced the warriors getting d'lo the warriors all of a sudden Fast forward a few years, a couple of years. Now you have your defensive stalwart. And for Wiggins to be that, that has to change everything. That has to change everything about how we see him as a player. And, I mean, as a, as a worker as well. You know, I, I think there's too many, too many misconceptions about a player that maybe is offensively inefficient and how much they care about the game or stuff like that. But he put his whole heart on the floor and – he did it against two of the best wings in the league. So Wiggins, I think that we have to talk about how, how he's ascended. Oh, we do. I mean, I, I've wanted to, to cut him down. I've taken chances on this podcast before to, to cut down things <laughs> he does and try to try to diss on him. But I can't after this. He, he's just, he's really, really stepped up in a, in a huge, huge way. And it just highlights how, the great kind of atmosphere and the quality of team uh, that the Warriors are under under Steve Kerr, like uh, getting Wiggins in and he just becomes the player that I guess the T-Wolves thought they were getting when they drafted him. They drafted him at number one. Maybe he's not the guy that can just put a team on his back every night and go out and score 35 plus, but he is a guy who can make the best players on the opposition's team look very average while putting up 15 to 20 points. And that is a huge, huge thing in the NBA. And it's kind of in a similar sort of area where you think of that's kind of how Kawhi kind of started out. He was a defensive stopper and he wasn't the most amazing scorer, but he grew. I'm not saying Wiggins is going to get to like Kawhi level in terms of offense, but it's a similar sto- sort of uh, storyline, and it just took him to get into that well-oiled machine. Like Kawhi got drafted, and he was in there in San Antonio, and he fit right in and showed his quality. Now Wiggins, he was in. Obviously, the turmoil, everything was just a mess in in Minnesota while he was there. He's got out of that, and he's he's shown up. He's been absolutely amazing this season, and his defense beat Jason Tatum's offense in this in the finals, which is is unbelievable and he did that while also averaging 18 points nine boards nearly two steals and uh one and a half blocks a game he was incredibly incredibly impressive and he has shut me right up yeah as as he should (laughs) um and i i think i go as far as to say that the warriors do not win the Warriors do not win this series 
without Andrew Wiggins. They just don't. I, I, I really, I really believe that. And you look night in, night out. He is, I mean, he's the reason they were able to do what they did. And yeah, I guess we can, we can transition to that talking about what, you know, really was happening on the floor throughout the series, but they they didn't have the point of attack outside of, outside of Gary Payton Jr. And their best point of attack defenders was Gary Payton Jr. And Andrew Wiggins, obviously Draymond Green, but Andrew Wiggins was able to play heavy minutes and was able to produce offensively. Like you can keep him out there. You can't game, game him off the floor. And what he did to frustrate Tatum, to frustrate Brown, to frustrate Smart, to frustrate anybody on the perimeter and to do it with such discipline. I mean, he was doing it without fouling. And that, that's, that's such a key part of, of what they did is, you know, they were funneling um, the Celtics perimeter players into tough spots. And he did it knowing where the help was. He, he forced them right to the help. And he did it all, always, always within the flow of the defense. And he was just like a perfect team defender. And to do it at the elite level that he did against Tatum, against Brown at the highest moment, and I don't think they would have done it without him. Who, who else are they putting out there? Gary, Gary Payton Jr. wouldn't have, wouldn't have got it done. Draymond Green's not going to last that long out there. They, just, they, they didn't have that core wing defender like Wiggins, who also was, like you said, going to give you 18 points a game. Yeah, That's, the, the great thing we got to see as well was Probably with about two minutes left there last night, we we got to almost see the moment where Tatum accepted that Wiggins had defeated him when he had that open look for three, but Wiggins was coming to close out. He faked it, tried to drive, and ended up traveling. That that was the moment that just showed Andrew Wiggins had has defeated me. That that was that was the moment for me, and that was that was sort of symbolic. <laughs> yeah, he there is so many. I mean, if you go back on the tape, there's so many possessions where he's just airballing, airballing shots over Wiggins. He's feeling uncomfortable and turning it over on Wiggins. I, I haven't looked at the uh, the percentages yet, but but Tatum was completely muted against him. I mean, as as a team defense, the Warriors did a fantastic job against that. But but yeah, we, we got a really good effort Wiggins. Um, and did, did we talk enough about Curry? Did we did we did we not do we did we talk enough? Did we really cover enough enough Curry greatness? Um, okay, can yeah. I just say that yeah, man? Yeah. When it's when the game was ending, <laughs> you can't. When the game was ending and he just collapsed to the ground, just crying. I think a lot of people are like, oh, that's performative. I I think that's that's such a, a beautiful moment, honestly, for a team that I, I don't I don't want to agree with them and say like they were counted out. No one's counting out the Warriors, um, necessarily the way that maybe the Celtics were. But I don't think people believe that they would, you know, they would get to this point and win a finals like the way that they did. Now the narrative we've seen about Kevin Durant, that, that narrative has been going right up until they won. They were 22 points up in game four and game six was there last night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that I I'm really excited to see where his career goes from here. Cause it feels like, it feels like a brand new beginning. Like that, that emotion was real. That wasn't just, it felt like he had just won his first finals. Uh, so yeah, yeah. The night it was weird to think uh, of a guy like him. He's achieved everything pretty much there is to achieve up until last night. It was still a first when he got obviously the finally got his hands on the finals MVP. And uh, boy, boy, did he deserve it! I mean, the guy had thirty plus points in four of the six games. He was the top scorer for either team in five of six games. He was just unbelievable. And obviously, Game Six was good last night, but. Game four was the real moment where he just showed, I am the man here. I am the best player on the floor, and we are winning this game. That, yeah, that, that game four yeah. was just un, un, unbelievable. I feel like game four is where things felt different because it, it felt like, it felt like even in even in game two when um, when the Warriors won, it still felt like Celtics gave that away. And there's just a lot of a lot of shooting luck maybe on the side of the the Warriors. But in game four, when Curry drops 43, that just felt like where momentum shifted. And that's that's what great players do. That's what, you know, unfortunately for Boston, Tatum didn't step up and make that kind of impact. 
Brown didn't step up and make that kind of impact, but Curry, he was there. That threat was always there. Um, and lastly, I mean, we got to we got to talk Clay. And Clay, you know, he didn't have he didn't have the best like shooting, didn't have the best shooting performance of his finals career, didn't have the best scoring performance. But I think what was what was great about Clay is that his defense was still there. I think all th- throughout him coming back um, in the winter. I think a lot of people were looking at him and seeing him ramp up, seeing him be a little bit slower, be a step slower. This foot speed, his hips weren't quite as snappy as they were when he was healthy. But I think he's, he just needed to warm up because he looked tremendous defensively. Talk about what Wiggins has done. I got to give the same credit to, to Clay. I mean, his defense on Brown, his defense on Tatum, but both him and Wiggins, I mean, they were able to, they're able to do so much defensively to the point where uh, I want to, I want to pull this up. You talk about how bad the Celtics did, and I'm going to give full credit to the Warriors in terms of what they did to them. They had a 96 offensive rating in the half court. They had an 88 offensive rating off their first shots in the half court. And that's, that's what you get when you get point of attack, you get, you have all the, the defensive schemes behind them to, to affect uh, drives to the rim and, and passing and all that. But in terms of just scoring, point of attack, individual ISO offense, which is what you get from great players like Tatum and Brown, those guys are meant to score difficult buckets. When you have Clay, when you have Wiggins, both those guys were, you got to give them their credit. I wish we had more awards. We need more trophies. Everyone deserves a trophy here. <laughs> they've, they've, all, they've all got their rings. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, sorry from here. You're hearing. I don't know if my if uh, where I'm living is being bombed or there's just some fireworks going off. There's something uh something going on outside anyway. But uh, you got some oh, Warriors uh, fans out there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Clay. Uh, obviously, the defense. There were still the moments. Obviously, when you you still see that there's a bit of it, maybe a half step that he's lost in a couple of moments, but it was still a big, big advantage having him there rather than having to play somebody else. Like, Clay was still really important this series. We saw it in a lot of the clutch scoring that he did. The go, the go-to plays were usually for Clay, and in those moments, those, those plays where the Warriors just seemed to know we're going to score off this play, the ball was in Clay's hands, and he was usually knocking down those threes. Uh, we saw it in, was it game game five in the third quarter when when Boston made that run, the the Warriors just ran a play, got the ball into Clay, Clay's hand, coming out of the corner, knocked down the three. He scored in the important moments so that Boston couldn't gain momentum, couldn't build up a lead. And that's why it's so important to have him in there for on both ends of the court. Obviously, people are going to see some of the bad shooting nights he had, but and then the fact that game six, Clay didn't, didn't really come to play last night, but he does a lot on both ends of the floor and in the clutch, the clutch moments, you still back clay to knock down three. Yeah. I, I will uh, shout out a few other people here. Cause I think this is, this is my key. This is my second key. Um, obviously first is the defense, which I think both these things are really interesting to me in terms of narrative. Because even when we were talking about how each team might be successful in this final series, for the Warriors, it was, can their offense figure out the Celtics defense? The Celtics defense was so great. I don't think we had the Warriors winning with their defense on our bingo card there. I don't think we talked about that. No. And, you know, their, their offense wasn't, I mean, their offense wasn't great. It was, they had a 110 offensive rating, a Jordan Poole, looked like crap for most of the series. Draymond Green couldn't shoot him. Clay was inefficient. Wiggins, I mean, mostly was inefficient. They, they weren't winning offensively for this series, but defense, that was the thing. And the second thing was, I think people were arguing that, most people were arguing that the depth was going to be in favor of the Celtics, that their depth was greater than the Warriors' depth. And that just, that just couldn't have been further from the truth, at least in the way that things played out. Um, just in box plus minus, you look at Gary Payton Jr., plus 35. Kevon Looney, plus 48. Otto Porter Jr., plus 18. And then you look at the Celtics, you had Grant Williams be a negative 55. 
Peyton Pritchard would be a negative 62 or negative. Uh, actually, he was a plus two. Sorry. But I, I got on my notes here. Pritchard shot 21.4% from three. That's your guy you put out there just to be bombing threes. And the saddest part about all this, man, um, is Derek White just completely going back to what he was doing earlier in the playoffs. He's a negative 62, shot 22% on drives to the rim. Um, and we'll come back to the Celtics in a minute, but just to compare those, the depth of both these teams, the Warriors guys, they got it done. They just plain and simple. They got it done. Kevon Looney continued to be an absolute defensive stalwart, switching in the drop, offensive boards. Otto Porter Jr. came in. He was just a, he was hot immediately. Every time he'd be in there, he's ready to shoot threes. He's ready to pass the ball. He's just an effective piece to that system. And Gary Payton Jr., I mean, he's got to be, he, he's got to be up there in considering who's the best point of effect defender, point of attack defender in the league. Like this guy getting learn, learn get, from the best, right? Yeah, I some some people some some analysts will say he, he was better than his dad in terms of just just straight up defense. Like as an all around player, player, obviously his dad is better. But um, this guy was just on everything, everywhere. It felt like there were six of them on the court at a time. And so if Gary, to think about if Gary Payton is the glove, is is Gary Payton Jr. the mitten? Then is that what we go with? No, no, no. He's not the <laughs> mitten. I, he's the he deserves that title too, Glove Jr. But he <laughs> he absolutely looked the part. Um, go just go look at his per thirty six stats. I mean his deflections, his steal rate, it's all off the charts. Um, I don't know how how many other ways can we say the Warriors were awesome? They, they were. Yeah, they were mean, awesome yeah. Well, that, the, 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 the final thing I, I'll even say on the Warriors just uh, give him, give give him credit to to Coach Kerr. He was. Unbelievable! A ninth uh, title in total for him now. He's almost caught yeah. up to his uh, to his uh, title tally as a player. Obviously, he had five five rings as a player, and now he's got four as a coach. And obviously, getting getting that those performances out of those role guys like Looney, like Otto Porter, like Peyton, that just shows the the great team that he has built here and the quality of coach that he is. I mean, obviously, he made the adjustments. Getting Otto Porter Jr. in from the start, that helped them. That it was at Game Four uh, in the fourth quarter when he when he decided to bench Draymond. A lot of people would have been questioned. That was a big call to make. It paid off, and to just in, to get the team regrouped and to get them to start playing defense again after they were a bit flaky in the first couple of games. That just shows the respect that he is that he garners from this team and the belief that they have in his system. And he is just, he's awesome. I think he, he's, he showed, certainly showed me and probably more people that he is the best coach in the NBA right now. Yeah. Um, easy to say that when he's uh, that, that's, that's the beautiful thing about being a coach, right? Like you, your team sucks. You're it's clearly your fault. The team does well. Maybe, maybe in this case, you do give him credit, but um He's riding with it. I think, I think that was ballsy. I mean, some of his some of his rotation were ballsy. Look what he did putting putting in Bielitsa in there, yeah. um, and having Bielitsa be in isolation against Tatum, like that was such a massive gamble, massive gamble. And he won um, way more than he should. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's one thing. We'll, we'll definitely have plenty of clips of that. We're, we're working on a video right now. Uh, looking at Celtics offense and Bielita is a beneficiary of uh, some pretty nasty Celtics lowlights there. But yeah, Kerr was definitely bold in that. And how often do you see coaches make offense, defense um, substitutions in the, in the playoffs in the finals for that? It's tough. Made a lot of tough calls. Um, shall we talk Celtics? Yeah. Final word, we'll just say, Curry, you're, you're a legend, an all-time great. Congratulations to the Warriors. Now it's time for, for those Celtics. What is next for this Boston Celtics team? Yeah. Well, let, let's see. How did why did they come up short when we look back on this? What what was the what were the biggest things? Uh, turnovers, whether you put that down to fatigue, 
I'm sure a lot of people will. Obviously, they've gone to back-to-back game sevens, but that's that's on them in important moments. They weren't able to get the job done, and that's why they had to go to those back-to-back game sevens. So I'm not going to give them an out by, by putting those turnovers down to uh, down to tiredness. Uh, simple things like the turnovers, the missed free throws, that was that was yeah. a big a big problem for them bad shots letting letting the warriors players get in their heads they they fell back into a lot of old bad habits and that was that was really disappointing yeah i think i think the way i see it in terms of the turnovers i didn't feel quite as convicted on claiming that it had to do with old habits um i I think that the the warriors push them to their limit. I honestly think that the one, the defensive pressure, like constantly dealing with on-ball pressure, constantly dealing with different looks from health defense. I mean, they're, they're zoning up, they're sending help from different places and it, and it resulted in it looking like the Celtics were just unprepared. They, they didn't know what they wanted to do offensively. And I, I think both of those things can be true at the same time. And I mean, that's different. Definitely. It. I think the turnovers were ultimately a symptom of the bigger problem, which is a lack of playmaking philosophy. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't think that there was a consistent period of time where they were able to create good offense. You know, a lot of it was difficult shots. Jalen Brown being a hero, Jason Tatum finally getting a little bit hot here or there, Al Horford saving their ass with just miraculous threes. And dude, <laughs> this man shot uh over, I think it was, I want to say 52% up until the finals, shot 52% from three up until the finals. Like, just got to throw that out there. Al Horford was insane this playoffs, and that cannot be overlooked. But the the playmaking philosophy just wasn't there. So when it felt like the Golden State Warriors were just closing on everything, sending so much help, Celtics would try and space the floor. they go five out. And then there just wasn't like a real – there didn't feel like there was any adjustment. There, there wasn't a lot of um, off-ball movement. People weren't rotating to passing lanes. They weren't cutting. Like there just wasn't activity where there should have been. And I don't know if that's you know that's an execution problem because, like you said, the energy felt pretty low at times. Um, maybe that's going to two game sevens in a row. But that that was what it was for me. That there wasn't playmaking. There wasn't a philosophy there for lack of a better term. You look at the Mavs, what the Mavs did against the Warriors, the Mavs did against the Jazz, that felt so fluid on the perimeter. They lived and died by it, absolutely. But the screen setting, the repositioning, the cutting, like everything felt in motion around Luka. And that's what I envisioned here in a way because Tatum was able to do it against the Bucks. He wasn't able to do as much against the Heat because I think they're they're much more versatile defensively. But against a constant um, defensive scheme that he saw every single game against the Bucs, that's where it felt like Jason Tatum emerged. And, all right, this is a guy that we can rely on to be a playmaker. Just space the floor. He's going to suck in the defense, and he's going to kick it out, and it's going to be flow, 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 open shots. And that's how they won that series. And the Heat felt a little bit murkier, but I think he – he adjusted a bit more better to the pressure, but I think the Warriors really turned it up to a point where I don't know if that's, that's where you can get the best offense from. And then it just led to turnovers as you're relying on everyone else to try and figure it out or him to just bang his head against the wall. Yeah. Yeah. We'll stay, we'll stay, stick on Taylor here. I mean, I think what we saw in this finals is that he's just not yet elite not saying that he's not going to get there, not saying that he could easily be back and leading this team to another finals appearance next year. But at this very moment, Tatum is not an elite player. But at the very, at the very least, <laughs> at the very least, he would have scored alongside Curry if he was an elite player. I'm not saying he would have led this team to the, to the title, but he would have scored more points. The dude had zero Zero 30-point games in the finals. In game six, when it was all or nothing, he had 
13 points. This is meant to be your go-to superstar. That is never okay. 23 turnovers in total in the game. He ultimately had became the first ever player to have 100 turnovers in a single postseason. Most ever. That is absolutely outrageous. And just focusing on the finals, he put up far too many bad shots. He spent far too much time complaining when he didn't get calls. And he's got to work on it. He's got there now. He's had his chance. He doesn't get any more. There's no more excuses with Tatum now. He's got to the finals. He's shown he's good enough to do that. No more excuses anymore. All right. Can we can we we have to address this? Jason Tatum is elite. What are you what are you talking about? You just got voted first team all NBA. I don't care. <laughs> we can't go that far, man. Come on, we, we went the entire podcast without being reactionary. I I all right, let me lay it out he there. Could, like, he could show me up very well easily next season. Don't get me wrong, but at <laughs> this moment right now, not not elite. Well, I all right, I, I think that. I think for, for what I was saying previously, like what they were trying to do was shoving a square into a round, is it a, a round thing into a square peg, square peg into a round hole? Is that what it is? Yeah, that's that. I know, I know what you mean. Yeah. Bad at idioms, yeah. But I think his weaknesses were highlighted tremendously in the series to the point where I, I think it's valid. Like people are going to come out with the feeling that maybe Tatum isn't actually that good. But I, I just refuse to believe that because of his age. He's only 18. And um, or is he 24? I'm not sure anymore. I don't know if I'm following Twitter or reality. He's 24. <laughs> but in, in terms of finals age, I mean, he's the youngest alongside Giannis, um, alongside Dwayne Wade. Let's, let's mention this. I don't know how many people have mentioned this, but he joins Dwayne Wade as the youngest player to record 600 points per game i think you had mentioned that previously not 600 points per game no, no. <laughs> 600 more more points in a in a playoff run um and i think he and brown were the youngest duo to do it as well the, the most points scored by the youngest duo um and when you go on there i'm just saying i'm not saying the tatum is not good me saying he's not elite does not mean it's not me saying that he isn't good but what, what all right we, i guess we, i guess we in the off season we need to determine what we mean by elite by star superstar we need some uh some proper some proper uh accepted lingo here we need to institutionalize some some standards here but i will say this that you're not wrong on on what he was bad at i mean obviously he was not good but let me say this. He made himself the sixth most. Uh, he had the most turnovers per game in history. Sixth most at 3.8. Smart was right behind him at 3.2. Brown also 3.3. You know who's ahead of him all time at fifth most turnovers per game in finals history? LeBron? Or is he higher? Right. He's probably way higher, is he? Right answer. Okay. 3.9 turnovers per game in the finals in these 55 games. You know what he did in his first series in 2006 against the Spurs? 5.8 turnovers per game. The narrative back then was very similar that he was not meant to hold the ball that much. He was not meant to play make that much, that it was inefficient, that he should not be doing as much as he was. But he it also was put up this... this the points on the assists to kind of make up for that now no yeah yeah, yeah. but the, i think that's the conversation we're getting to that's the conversation we're getting to um and maybe maybe we just get to it now let's let's just let's just rip the mandate off can jason tatum become that guy the guy yeah 100 yeah I think so yeah and <laughs> this is so funny I, I feel like you you have high you have you're really hard on Tatum because you believe on him, believe in him. So you're like, okay, he's not elite, but I'm a little bit more accepting of what I think he might be. And I don't think he's going to be as good as what you think. And I'm like, he did fine. <laughs> Cause I don't, th this is the difference for me. And we've compared Luca and Tatum for like uh, innocuous reasons, but there are two wings that I think both of their teams wanted to run through their offense, run their offense. And 
Luca, you see his results there. Tatum, you see the results here. And if you look at the tape, the difference between these two players and the decision-making that they make, I think is so representative of the level of player, the level of IQ on the offensive end, level of instinct, that innate ability to predict plays, that innate ability to know what's going to happen before it happens. And I just don't think Tatum has that. And I'm not, I'm not saying that he can't be, be the best player on a finals team. I think he can be that. But I don't think what he was asked to do in this finals is what ultimately is going to bring out that best players in a final series. Yeah, I get what you're saying there. I think, yeah, I, I, I agree with you as well, what you're saying. On, on the, the, him and Luca are not the, the same player. They shouldn't be played the same way. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I, I can agree with that, yeah. And I think that there's so much room for improvement in what he does, absolutely. Um, but yeah, that, that, that playmaking aspect, I think that we saw him stress the very limits of what he can do as a on-ball creator for others. And I think it's, it's really encouraging to see because he absolutely distributed well. Mm -hmm. Um, He was a very willing passer and that wasn't a question. There's, there's never going to be a question in this whole postseason was Jason Tatum selfish. He just wanted to get a shot. He just wants to be like Kobe. That's what we heard all last year. There's going to be no question of, well, does Tatum try on defense? Is he, is he really committed to both ends of the floor? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And he's answered two big questions there. And I think it's just retooling this team and refining his role and what he does best as a, I think, a pure scorer and a great secondary creator. Um, but I, I think one, one thing I will say, because if we want to talk about things that the Celtics didn't do well, and Tatum led the charge there. One you mentioned was the turnovers, obviously taking care of the ball, which stemmed from their playmaking. And I think part of that was um, surprisingly against a team that the Warriors, who don't have really tremendous interior defense, like you don't think of Kevon Looney, like they got a Rudy Gobert in there, but they were just downright terrible driving to the rim. Yeah, They just could not bad. get to the rim. They could not finish the Celtics scored on just 16% of their drives to the basket. Tatum shot 31% on drives. Brown shot 51% on drives. And for, for reference, I think the, the median um, was like 58 or so, 7%. That, that's a lot. That's for, a pretty, for that's a pretty big that's contrast between Tatum and Brown there. Yeah. yeah. Smart, 42.9%. And I already said Derek White was, I think it was like 22.7. It was a lot lower. But, and look at this, Tatum, 1.3 assists to 1.5 turnovers on drives. Brown, 1.5 assists to one turnover. And Smart, 0.7 assists per one turnover. That's their ratios of driving to the rim. So there's just zero, zero creation getting to the rim, zero finishing getting to the rim, and all the turnovers. That's where it all stemmed from. Um. So I think that that's one thing that Tatum in particular, he needs to get better at because there's so many one-on-one opportunities in the fast break, so many lightly contested buckets, so many times where he's got curry on him and he just looks constantly bothered and he doesn't look willing to take contact. I don't, I don't know if you felt, if you feel like that's a stark contrast from what we've seen from him throughout the regular season, or if this is just something that is more apparent. Yeah, it was there was different times when you saw him attacking the rim and he was almost too focused on trying to draw a foul without really getting hit rather than actually scoring the basketball, which is something that, that he can't that he can't do. He can't be focused on on getting fouled. The most important thing is getting the ball in the rim and the other things will will take care of themselves. That was something I definitely noticed. And just just think of like the, the this just goes back to the the lack of offensive consistency and the inability to to take advantage of matchups. I mean, you look at what the Warriors did to Luca for periods of the series in the Western Conference Finals. They absolutely targeted him on the defensive end, and they destroyed him. Mm-hmm. The Celtics 
I don't think they even had back-to-back plays where they they tried to target Curry and go at him and make him a problem, even get him into foul trouble or anything. I don't think there was any sort of consistency. Not successfully, no. Not no. successfully. They tried. He, he was he yeah, they 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 tried at some point, but they also I don't think they tried enough. And there was moments where like Horford was on Curry and they didn't get the ball enough. Tatum was losing battles against against Curry uh going uh, going at the rim and you think the height advantage the the size advantage he has I mean there's a credit that has to go to Curry there but also a little bit of some more consistency and offense a bit more clever plays on offense they could have taken advantage of that, that, that a, a decent bit more yeah I, that's that's tough because you know, maybe they should have just consistently kept going back to it whenever they're on the floor. That that might have been something that the like the Bucks would have done. That that might have been something that that Coach Bud would have been like. I don't care if we don't score this entire quarter doing that. I'm just going to keep doing it until it works because we're we should do that. Um, but there there are too many times where they they would go to that. They'd go to getting the switch on Curry. They'd try and post up. They would do the same thing to Pool and they were so the Warriors were just so good at sending help and rotating and knowing their personnel and knowing who they wanted to lay off of. And there was always somebody there. There's always a Marcus smart. There was always a Rob Williams. It's always a Derek white. And they, they even didn't really care too much about Pritchard Pritchard. And just that little bit allowed them to rotate quickly to double up in the paint and to force Tatum into tough shots, force Brown into tough shots. And I don't know. I, I don't think they, I don't even think they could have done that. Cause maybe that's, that's part of the the makeup here. Cause we're, we're thinking about like, why did the Celtics come short and why, and what did they do moving forward? And it's, it's tough to say this because the Celtics did shoot well, right? It, it's funny. Cause they, they did shoot pretty decently, very decently from, uh from three, they shot 40.8% from three. And like, you'd say that over the course of the series, that that should be good. But I think that they did, it didn't come with gravity. Like they, they don't have shooters that come with gravity and the Warriors were willing to gamble that Celtics might get hot from shooting from the perimeter, but at least we're going to cut everything off inside. We're going to cut off drives. We're going to cut off post-ups. We're going to cut off any time that they try and target Curry. They're never able to play Curry off the floor because they were ready for that. And they were willing to sacrifice some three point shots, but I guess there's just, maybe there's not somebody on the Celtics right now that, demand that they have somebody on them at all times the same way that obviously you know the, the Warriors have um so I I think uh to, just to finish that point um about the playmaking maybe, maybe you move on and think about what the Celtics need the most like how, how do we address these things and I, I think for me my answer to that is the true point guard I would I would have answered that whether they won or lost this series yeah, no, that's gonna that's gonna be important. I think we 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 saw the difference. I mean, you look on the positive side for for Boston, Robert Williams, I think, is a huge positive for them. Yeah, the way he performed in that series, and just to think, they're gonna have hopefully they're gonna have a healthy Robert Williams in the playoffs so. next year, and that's just wow! I cannot wait to see that because. He was absolutely not healthy throughout these finals, but he still performed huge and had a huge impact. So getting to see him at 100%, that's going to be a big plus for this Boston team. Uh, obviously, you mentioned Al Horford before. I mean, what a performance he had. He's still got a lot of juice left. Bringing him back was just a great move, and he can still perform even though he is uh, 35 now. And also, the defense held up. I mean, they held the Warriors to... Uh, 104.8 points per game. Compare that to the other teams in the playoffs. Whereas mm-hmm. against in round one, average 118 points. Round two, 111. Round three, 115. The yep. defense side of it held up. It was the offense that let them down. So now it's the question of how can we improve our offense without hurting our defense? I think that's going to be a fine line that they have to. Uh, that they have to thread now in, in the off season. Yeah, that's, that'll be the subject of probably more Marcus Smart trades. Um, Al Horford, some people, I wonder how many people actually would 
agree with trading Al Horford because of his size of his contract. Um, I've heard a few people say it, and I, I think it's absolutely ridiculous that a guy like that who, on, I mean, talk about defend one through five. I mean, he was defending Curry and defending him well. Al Horford absolutely covers one through five, mm-hmm. shoots three, does everything on both ends of like that. That guy is worth it. You got to keep him. But Smart will definitely be the subject of that because of this playmaking issue. Um, and just projecting out, like, what do they need? I, I do not think Celtics need a guy like Beal. They, they don't need another guy who needs the ball, who needs to shoot. They don't need finishers. They need guys who are going to set the floor and are going to be good shooters at baseline. You can't have, can't wait for Derek White to figure it out. I mean, he's, he's ultimately in these situations going to become very situational players, kind of like Gary Payne Jr. But yeah, I think the, the guard issue is probably going to be the biggest point of emphasis uh, for this offseason. But what are the chances do you think that maybe they just run it back? I think they I, I think they could because I think this team has no doubt earned the right to be able to to run it back and give it another go next year. Yeah. Maybe we'll see improve like I mean, this is still a fairly young team, especially their two Tilly Lee guys and Brown Tatum. They're still young guys. So they could easily improve next year and they could it could be the same makeup the roster and they could do better next year. We'll just have to have to wait and see on that. I think one thing they have to look to, they gotta find some some sort of spark plug off the bench. They gotta find some more some more scoring. They need a a Jordan Poole, a, a, a Clarkson, a hero type player coming off the bench. They know they can give a bit of rest to, to Tatum or Brown and they know they're getting a guy that can come in, create his own shots and consistently score the basketball. I mean, you look at the bench scoring in the Warriors, the the, the three wins that, that took them to the title. Uh, combined for the three games, the Celtics bench scoring, 28 points. The Warriors, 77 points. Obviously, that was highlighted by wow. Poole yeah. with the, the 14, uh, 14, 14, and 15, but that is, a, that is a stark difference, and we saw moments where they just – it just wasn't happening for Brown and Tatum and you needed someone else to be there and they did not have it. It's, it's a small thing, but if they could find a way to get that, even like a, like a Dinwiddie type of player that Dallas have, that could be a huge boost to, to this, to this Boston team. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's actually interesting. Maybe, maybe the answer isn't you need one, one guy to be a table setter and to play make and to shoulder more responsibility from Tatum, but maybe you need more out of a guy like white. Maybe you ask more of white or you get someone like him that's able to be more efficient passing the ball. But um, that, that is a big question. I mean, <laughs> you don't come across like Chris Paul types yeah. every day <laughs> that, that doesn't come around all the time. And I think the moral of the story though, is like, you're absolutely right. That, Robert Williams looks great and Al Horford still looks healthy. Jalen Brown showed that he in the right situations can score. Jason Tatum throughout the the playoffs showed that, you know, he can be a good playmaker in the right situation. And there's probably a limit to that volume. So there's, there's the championship like formula right there. And you're just a, you're just a piece away from being there. You're already a contender you're already going to come into next year being among the, the four or five teams who should be in the finals, but they're a piece away from being like beyond that being a favorite. They're a piece away from being a favorite. And to say that for a team that was the 11th seed in January, barely in the playoffs before that out of the playoffs for, for much of the first part of the season. That's unbelievable. And that, that trajectory of growth, you know, you can't assume that it just rockets off from here, but what, what was your, uh, what was your question? What, what do they need to avoid? So how, how, can, how, can they, how can they be sure they don't fall into the okay, the Oklahoma city thunder uh, trap The that team got to the finals in 2012. We never saw them there again. And by 2016, the team was, was split up. And that, that team came so close. That was that is that really the worst worst case scenario? I mean, for this team, that's that's high expectations, and that is representative of how good they are. 
for sure. But it's a, it's a great fear to have for a team that was just trying to avoid becoming the, the Vince Carter Toronto Raptors. Yeah. So perspective wise, it's, it's a good place to be in. Um, and I think you go into next season, got to be confident no matter what happens this off season, because these are young guys, these are hungry and they respect their coach and there's just the path forward and talk about the Warriors being there because Curry's greatness, the Celtics will absolutely be there. And maybe this is the beginning of a, a new rivalry if we see it again. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, don't 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 re- don't rule it out uh, about these teams being, being right up there, right <laughs> up there could, next year. We'll yeah. see. We'll see what sort of impact this uh, this whole trip uh, has had on the on the Celtics. Maybe about twenty games into the new season, we'll see where they're at from from a mental side. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they if they become a team now that that goes on a bit of a Suns uh, sort of run. Like uh, after they lost the mm-hmm. finals, they just kicked off and were superhuman then this uh, this year, or they just be a bit more restrained and they're kind of still working things out early in the season and just make sure like this year they're ready and raring to go come, uh, come the latter part of the season. Yeah, that mentality will be key to keep and um... – with Yudoka, I think that's where you can find confidence in that. Yudoka is going to bring out a team that is going to maintain that DNA, is going to maintain that mentality. Um, but before we run out of time here, I think, is, is that enough Celt- uh, Celtics stock? Is that enough final stock? We I, think, I think we got all it. I think trophies. we covered it. Yeah. I think we don't. Um, we got to talk right after this break about the most exciting move that's already happened. <laughs> I don't understand how teams are making trades while the finals are happening. It just doesn't make sense to me, but we'll be right back. We'll break it down. Does Luca now have the running mate he needs? Hey guys, thanks for tuning in today. As the season heats up, we'd love to connect over social media and carry out the conversation with you, fan. You can find us on Instagram at coast number two, coast zero zero and Twitter at coast NBA. Hit our DMs with any topics you want to discuss and join the conversation today. Now, back to the rest of the episode. All right, we're back and we're talking the Christian Wood trade from the Houston Rockets to the Dallas Mavericks. And the Mavericks got this for basically nothing. 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 Is it a 26 pick? The number 26 pick, Boban, Sterling Brown, Trey Burke, Marquise Kiss. That's a whole lot of nothing, and what what they've added is scoring, rebounding, and an improvement on the on their rim protection. First move from Dallas, but a really clever one. The the haters, gotta address the haters, are gonna say that Christian Wood is good on a bad team, that his numbers aren't really reflective of what he is going to do on a good team. And I think that completely neglects what he's done in his short minutes with um, Pistons and Bucks. Yes, Pistons are a bad team. But for him to do that, and what I'm saying by that, I think I've preached enough on this podcast about him being a top five percentile, pick and roll big. And that's, that's no small feat without a true point guard. He's not done that with a true point guard. Now you get that with Luka Doncic. That was what I was waiting for between him and Harden. You never got to see it because Harden left, but he now gets Luka Doncic, who makes anyone in the pick and roll look amazing. The way that he can get to the lob, the way that he can get to the pocket pass, the variety of passes he can make. And not just that, but the way that the Mavs want to play is exactly how Christian Wood should be deployed. To put him in Maxi Kleber's place, you lose a little bit defensively there. But offensively, as a shooter, as a rim runner, what he's going to do in the pick and roll and the pick and pop, he's exactly the kind of guy that the Dallas Mavericks needed to add to get to that next level. Talk about an unbiased opinion there, right? <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big Christian Wood guy, man. I, I'm telling you, I, I think he's going to have a huge impact. Yeah, and he's heading towards, you, you'd argue he's heading, in the, uh, heading towards the – what are likely to be the most productive years of his career. I think he's going to be 27 to start the, start the new season or he'll turn 27 next season. So he's on, 
he's on a right track in terms of his experience, in terms of the level yeah. that he's at in the league. And at the very least, they've given up very little to even get a more appetizing trade piece if they were looking for a bigger fish than Christian Wood. He's a lot, he's going to uh, demand a lot more than any of those guys that they gave up to get Christian Wood. I don't think that's going to be their plan, but in case it is, they've got a, a much, a much uh, more enticing piece uh, now that they've got Wood. I mean, this is going to be, a, this is the first move ahead of a big season for Dallas, I think. Uh, obviously, everything we saw them getting to the Western Conference Finals, ultimately, we've talked about it already, different things with Luca. they got to make a call on whether they want to bring Brunson back. But the important thing is, like, Luca and Brunson, they were the highest scoring duo in the in the playoffs. Really? Yeah, that, that, that's something to build on. And obviously, a lot of it was Luca. Let's, 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 let's be real here. But that's something that they can build on. And the fact that they're going to have both Hardaway and Dimwitty together next season, having that sort of scoring outside of both Luca and Brunson, there is a lot of good uh, within this Dallas team. Bringing in Wood is a really smart move. And if they make a few more smart moves, they could definitely be in a better position to start next season. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a. Uh... Thanks for the most obvious statement in the world, Ronan. Of course, they're going to be in a better position to make smart moves. Thank you. But, <laughs> but I, I think you're right, though, about, about the offensive versatility there, man. I, thinking about how much they're going to score next season, I think they're going to finally get back to what they are doing a couple of years ago. Um, the one thing I will say, though, is um, people who are hating on Woods' defense, I, I think they're – they're right. As an on-ball defender, you know, he slacks. As, you know, he, he does have some rim protection, but he's not the most active off-ball defender. And maybe that's that's a symptom of being on bad teams, sure. But there's definitely – he's definitely not a guy that you add to this this team and say, okay, they're definitely getting better defensively. Mm-hmm. And I think what, what they really had going for them um, at the end of the year here, just like the Celtics, is how – competitive they were on that end of the floor defensively and the way that they were able to switch everything, the way that they were able to space the floor because of that. Um, I'm really interested to see them add um, just a random, like a Sadiq Bay type guy to add a, a true three and D player, a guy who's actually going to be um, great on that end of the floor defensively. Cause Dorian Finney Smith can't do it all, man. Like he's, he's a great defender, but he can't do it all. Um, Lou Dort seems to be in a lot of talks. Maybe maybe that's another guy to add. But at least offensively, Christian Wood in this situation, I think their their offensive system, there's no question that they're going to be a top five offense to me next year. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's a, that's a big thing. Obviously, we all know they're looking at the, the main thing for Dallas is is improving their defense, improving their their rebounding as a team. They they struggled a lot in in stages, but this move is still is still a correct move for them to have made, and now it's just a question of how do they how do they improve the defensive the, the defensive side of the ball from here? Yeah, um, and of course you, <laughs> of course, as soon as you talk about getting Christian Wood, you're like, well, maybe they can even like trade him because he's still here. And now I'm thinking about all right, well, what, what's what's Berton's contract? All right, Berton's contract is 16 million. Christian Woods' contract is fourteen million. Maybe uh, Josh Green gets a little better next year. Maybe that's a that's a thirty-two million dollar player that you're playing with. Uh, who knows? But yeah, there, there are, are options for this team. Um, but I think that about does it for today's episode. I think we covered the finals. We covered covered some wood, and big thing is we're already. Dude, I don't understand how the draft is next Thursday. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it comes up We're quick, hard. doesn't it? No, no, no time. No, no, no rest here. We got to get on it. Zero time. Okay, so depending on how much uh, of our lives we have to give, we're, we're going to definitely be coming back here and talk our favorite draft uh, prospects, see if that's changed since we last talked about it. I think what we did the last uh, one through 10, I believe. Mm-hmm. But um, perhaps we'll do some deep dives, bring on a couple guests, 
and uh, get excited for uh, all these young players jumping into the beginning of their career. We two big moments, two weeks back to back and can't wait to do it. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Coast to Coast. Don't forget to hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at Coast to Coast NBA Podcast to hear your takes discussed right here on the show. And remember, take every shot and love every moment.